David Spada is a successful attorney whose dream was to become a sports talk show host. Elliot Harris is a Chicago sports columnist who wanted to expand his media presence. In the next hour, they combine their talents and love of sports and women by interviewing former professional athletes and lovely ladies on sports and torts. But keeping the boys out of trouble isn't always easy because when David and Elliot are together, they have more fun than should be legal. I didn't think I was going to make it here today, Elliot. You didn't get stopped for speeding, did you? No, I was all over the place, but I didn't think I was going to get up this morning after a rough day yesterday. How'd that go? What was that? I decided I wanted to not only be an attorney, a talk show host, but a TV star. So I tried out for Mob Doctor. As the doctor? No, they hit me as a cop. Can you believe that? Well, it's in the law enforcement field, so it's... Not too distant from you. I got excited. I got to see Jordan Spiro, and they told me, we want you to walk by Jordan and check her out. I go, I can handle that. It sounds like, you know, typecasting right off the bat. Melinda goes, that would have been a perfect part for Elliot. I said, Elliot trained me. I'm his young protege. There you go. And? After five takes, the last one that was perfect, except they were one real short, and then they went to a female officer to check her out, which I don't get it, but that's probably why they were canceled, the decisions <laughs> like that. Maybe they're shooting for a different demographic. I don't know. But it was interesting. But they don't talk to the talent, don't take pictures. Wait a second. I thought you're the talent. That's what I thought. They didn't think so? No. When I was leaving, the guy who told me to check her out looked at me and goes, you can go now, whoever you are. I'm like, okay, okay. whoever you are. Well, let me check my business card. I'll figure <laughs> out who I am. My dad was laughing. He's like, you file a comp case for getting uh, sick there on the set? Because there was like... Um, an animal, like, basically deteriorating in the walls, and they were calling the exterminators and reeked there. I'm like, no, That wasn't part of the storyline? No, I didn't know there was a studio. It's a Taylor Street. When you hear Taylor Street, you think of... I think of Italian restaurants. Right. This Taylor Street was uh, Central, no, yeah, Central and Roosevelt Road. That's, okay. And there was, a, I guess there was a street called Taylor Street there. I think it's an old Sunbeam building they turned into a studio. Okay. But... Oh, well. I was hoping, you know, there'd be a red carpet that we could walk down and... Uh, You'd be the star and all that good stuff. We'll have to wait for another day. That's what Melinda said. You're going to get blacklisted now. You're not going to be <laughs> doing any more extra work. I said, that's okay. If they want me, they know where to find me. Maybe they'll save you for a starring role. Well, let's get to an interview we taped with Bob Rosenberg earlier in the week. Elliot, what's going on? You should bring a lovely lady in studio. Well, a change of pace is always appreciated, right? <laughs> <laughs> or not. Or not. <laughs> Bob Rosenberg, world-famous official scorer for the Chicago Bulls, Chicago White Sox, Chicago Cubs, Chicago, you name a team, you've done them. The Blackhawks. The Bears. The Bears. The Fire. The Fire. The Sting. The Sting. The lacrosse team. The Shamrocks. The Shamrocks. Um, No lingerie football? No. <laughs> Although he did have interest in that sport, I will admit. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> Bob, how did you get started? Well, in basketball, I uh, was going, when the Zephyrs and the Packers were here, which is the Washington Wizard, I was going to a White Sox game, and it was rainy, and they called the game. I went up to the Packers' office to see how much tickets were. I talked to the guy, hmm, two hours. You know, gotcha. 
And I went home. About a week later, two weeks later, they called me and asked me if I kept score for basketball. And I says, yeah, when I was in high school. So they hired me. I did their games for the two years. And then when they were moving to Baltimore, they asked me if I wanted to go. And I said, nah, I don't want to move. I mean, I had an incident in Baltimore. We were playing a game there with Golden State in March. It was 63. And they made the announcement, uh, there's a bomb in the place. And this was at halftime. Everybody's running out in the cold and all that. And me and Jim Carvellis, who was doing the Bulls, uh, the, uh, Packer games at the time, said, what are we sitting here for? <laughs> and we went outside and all that. But so that incident, I was getting a little nervous after that then. But then when they left and the Bulls, got the okay to join the NBA, I wrote Dick Klein, who was the original owner for the Bulls, a letter. And he saw that I had a couple of years' experience. And he hired me to uh, do them. So you started in, in 1961, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. So you've been at this a while. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's see, 51, 51 years. 51 years. Good, we're both mathematicians here. <laughs> So how did you get involved then in baseball? Baseball, I had season tickets for the White Sox, and I would go to all the games and keep score. Now, if there was something I disagreed with, uh, Don Umfrith, who was the PR guy for the White Sox, I would call him. I says, Don, I think they may have missed something. And a lot of times he found out that they did. So eventually, in 87, when they got rid of the newspaper writers, because you had to be a newspaper writer to be official score, it became a conflict of interest. Well, then uh, Paul Jensen, who was a PR guy for the White Sox, asked me if I wanted to be an official score, because I was doing, writing by hand, the play-by-play for Elias Sports Bureau for the Sox home games and games in Kansas City, um, Detroit and one other place, Texas, because they didn't have like they have now the play by play is typed out. And I said, yeah. So I would. And then they be asked me to be a scorer and I've so been ever since. How did you keep track of all these games and all track of what games? You had to keep track of other teams play by plays? Well, yeah, it would be. Or only when they came to Chicago? No, only when, oh no, Texas, Boston, Kansas City, I had to do it off TV. Write it by hand, the play-by-play. I mean, you didn't have a satellite, or did you have a big satellite at your house? How did you do it, or did you listen to the radio? Only when, no, only when the Sox played there. Oh, okay. Okay. Because the league didn't have now, like, everybody has to do the play-by-play. And same with basketball. Everybody's got to do the play-by-play and send it in. Yeah, because, I mean, I go on the Internet now, and during the game I can see right. the play-by-play mm-hmm. play running score, what's going right. on. So have you had to have a real job, or have you always just, not just, <laughs> you know. Kept... I used I used to work for uh, a PICO, American Photocopy Equipment Company at 2200 West Dempster. Okay. And I lived a couple blocks from there. I used to work every day, day there. Evanston High School, I went there, walked. Evanson High School, 
every day, so everything was close by. I didn't need a car. But, I, yes, I worked there for hmm, 10 years till they went out of business. And then when they did, I helped my brother at his deli in Northbrook for about, what, three, four years? But you, at the start of a year, you can now say, okay, baseball, I'll have at least 81 White Sox games, uh, 41 Bulls games, you know, plus exhibitions. No, let's say 65 White Sox games and 31 Cub games. I, I don't want to do them all like I used to. You it's cut, too you much. Back? Oh, yeah. You know, even now, the weekends, it's tough. I don't work weekends at Wrigley unless a guy can't make it. Okay. But you you do work all the the Bulls home games. Yes. Because you have missed only two games in the franchise's entire history as at home games. Those two Correct. Ga- those two games came in 2000 when you took a little side trip to Tokyo to watch the Cubs and the Mets play. I, I didn't go to watch the Cubs and Mets play. I was to, working. To, to, to work. Well, do people appreciate that you're actually working or do they think, boy, you got the greatest job in the world? Well, they say you got the greatest job. I said, well, then you sit there day in and day out when a team is losing or it's a bad game and see if you don't fall asleep. <laughs> I mean, how do you stay awake during some of these games? It's tough. <laughs> like the other night when we had a timeout, I closed my eyes to rest and Taj Gibson came up. <laughs> the push gives you a little nudge. Time to wake mm-hmm. up. So with 22,000 people there and all the noise that's going on during the timeouts, you're oblivious to that. Yes. And sometimes, a couple of years ago, they had me on the board. Sleeping? Have, yes. <laughs> so where do you sit during the Bulls games? Right at midcourt. So Jordan never got you with the tail compartment. No. You used to get that was to right my there. right. That was to my right. Pippen would come over and we do uh, uh, fist pound. And now it's me and Boozer, uh, Taj Gibson, and, and Dang. The Love of Bulls don't do anything to you? Uh, they do, but they can't do anything. <laughs> you mentioned uh, before we went on the air about a little cake incident. What happened? It was my 2000th game, and I guess they had this plan. And there was a timeout in the first quarter, about 6.49 to go. And my eyes were turned, so I took my glasses off to wipe my eyes. And I see this clown coming with the cake. Benny the Bull and two candles. He says, Bob, blow these out. So I go to blow them out. He shoves it in my face. And it's all over. And then he burned me under my left eye, which the doctor put something on at halftime. Then you called your attorney for a worker's comp case. <laughs> and I didn't know you then. <laughs> I, think, I think we're just drumming up some business for you, David. <laughs> so did you get to eat the cake at all or not? No, I never got to taste it. Boozer did. He said it was good. Well, you had enough of the icing all over yeah, you. Yeah, but I was just trying to, because it was during the game. They were coming back in. Right. And here it's all. And, you know, if I'd had my glasses on, I wouldn't have been able to see and trying to get all that <laughs> greasy stuff off the glasses. I was hoping the girls were going to lick it off. <laughs> that's another story. Or Violet, or Violet Palmer. That's another yeah. program. Was she there that day? I don't know. It seems like she works on all the games whenever I'm turning nah, them Nah, she's only been here once this year. She doesn't come very often here, Violet. And she's okay. very nice. So at a Bulls game, what is your official capacity? I mean, what are, you, what are you responsible for? All the baskets, free throws made, free throw attempts, personal fouls, timeouts, timeouts. 
three-point attempts, and especially when it comes into the last two minutes of a game, you got to know how many timeouts a team has. And then after the two-minute mark in the fourth quarter, if you have two timeouts and a 20, it goes to one timeout and two 20s. And you got to make sure you, you're on top of that. Okay. So you don't start and stop the clock, though? Not me. Mm-mm. That's somebody else's problem. Right. you got enough on your plate. But, you know, for doing it so many years, I could do it with my eyes closed. Do you take any um, satisfaction seeing records get broken, like Darwin Barney with the airless streak at second base and Sandberg had it for a while? Not at all. It don't make any difference to me. When, when I work a baseball game, I do not look at the stats to see if a guy has got a hitting streak or how many errors he's made. I don't do that. A lot of scorers do. And I think that sometimes makes them... Um, make a decision on a call. Like, there was a call against Pittsburgh that it was an error. And the official scorer called it a hit. And I worked the next day, and I said to the PR guy from Pittsburgh, I said, Jimmy, come on, tell me that wasn't an error. Bob, it was. But do you think I'm going to go down there and tell them to take a hit away from my player? No, I mean, I understand that. But take Galarraga with the Tigers, who had the perfect game going. Would that have influenced you at all? No, because once the umpire said he was safe, it's a hit. I can't give him an error. So you can't overrule the umpire. Because <laughs> I know you hear Sano on the broadcast saying, oh, I think Rosenberg might change the call here. Yeah, I mean, I could do that. But if it's a, if the ump calls him safe, that's a hit. Unless the guy bobbles it. Right, but he didn't. Right. He was out, but I can't give him an error. No. During your career as a Sox official scorer, there have been occasions when uh, players or managers or broadcasters have been upset with a call or two. Uh, one name comes to mind, Ozzie Guillen. Ozzie, when he first started, I told him, I said, Ozzie, if you have any complaints, come see me. Don't go to the media. We had a call, ground ball, I called an error. Went under his glove. Nothing was said. That was on a Friday. That Monday, the writers were asking me, well, Ozzy thought that should have been a hit and not an error on him. This is the first time I'm hearing about it. I walk into that locker room, and Ozzy said, Rosie, before I even said a word, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Because he knew. I told him. But he said there was a play the next day where Randy Reddy threw the ball away, and the ump called him out. And I thought he was safe. I asked um, Garcia, Rich Garcia was the ump. I said, Rich, if he didn't throw the ball away, would he have been safe? Yes. I changed it to a hit for him. Do players nowadays, do you get more complaints nowadays than you did? No, they're not supposed to. When we had our meeting in February in Major League Baseball, the players, coaches, managers are not supposed to call up because it's got to be done now between the players' representatives and the union. They go through them. But me, the way I am, if they 
call me visiting or be, and, and say, hey, Bob, can you look at that again? If I'm wrong, I change it. But how often are you wrong? Oh, there's quite a few times. <laughs> what, would broadcasters call you up and say, why did you make that decision or you should no. change it? They'll just, they'll just talk about it on the air, right? But Yes, and I will ask them sometimes on plays. I'll ask Eddie Farmer, uh, Darren Jackson, Stone, Hawk Carlson, um, Bly Levin when they're in town, Jim Bremer from Minnesota. I'll, I'll ask the visiting team guys too. I mean, I'm not afraid. Nobody's perfect. But I will ask them at times on plays what they think. Now, you've, you've been doing this long enough, I'll assume, that you didn't have always have the benefit of TV replay. Since I've been doing it, yes, I've had it. Oh, you have? Yeah. Okay, so you, you haven't had to that one chance, and if you saw it, you saw it, and if you didn't, you didn't. Right. Now, I've always had the replay, but a lot of times I, I won't look at it. Whatever I called it first would be it. But nowadays, they cry about every little thing. How far back can you change a call? Do you have to do it within a certain period of time, or could you go well, back two years and change something? No, 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 no. What I try to do is change it before the writers leave so they could get it in their stories. Sometimes i got to wait till the next day when I get home and look at it again. Now, at the White Sox, I'm lucky enough where they have the replace, a guy will do it for me anytime I need it. Wrigley, it's tough. They don't have a regular scoreboard room in that. What was your favorite moment in sports covering it? Boy, I would have to say when the Sox won the World Series. Did you get a ring? No, because it would have been a conflict of interest. Because you're not a Sox employee? Correct. See, I work for Major League Baseball. Okay. So, no. And Jerry Reinsdorf did give me a watch like the players got. That's worth a lot. It was engraved, and he just told me not to wear it to the ballpark. Now, the Bulls, I got all six rings, but because I get paid by them. So, I wasn't expecting a ring because Jerry would have given me one. Jerry is one of the nicest guys you could ever work for. Reinsdorf. So when you retire, there might be a ring as part of your... <laughs> you never know. <laughs> but you're not going to retire. No. Not right now. It's not stressful. I'd rather spend time out there BSing with the guys at the White... You know, especially the White Sox. I mean, I go there once or twice a month to go to lunch because they're bored. <laughs> they can't wait till I get there. <laughs> so do you travel with the team? No. And now the Bulls... They're so far behind in the scrapbook, they've asked me to do it for them. You are known for your scrapbooks. Correct. Because after every, at least, I know at least after every Bulls game, you'll copy that, you'll transcribe that into another scorebook. And well, that's because we have to now, the last three years, send that book back to the league. And I don't know why, but... Okay. And once upon a time, there's a guy who wore number 23 for the Bulls. Sandberg? Bulls. <laughs> yes. Michael? And when he was young, his mother kept scrapbooks. And when he came to Chicago to play for the Bulls, somebody else kept scrapbooks for him. Me. Because he asked me. He took me aside one day and asked me if I would do it for him because he knew I did it for Bob Love, 
Jerry Sloan, uh, Barwinkle, Van Lear, a lot of the players. So you just would you just cut the stuff out of the paper or magazines? Is that how it worked? Yes, and put the dates on them, and then just give it to them, and they would put it. In, Box in scores the of every game and things mm-hmm. like that. How long did you do that for him? Michael, as long as he was here. Did it get easier with the digital age? Because now all the scrapping seems like it's digital, cut and paste. No, I still... You do it the old-fashioned way. Mm-hmm. So you were into scrapbooking before it became this well, I'm popular the, 21st century phenomenon. I'm the only one who has the Bulls scrapbook from day one when the NBA said Chicago's getting a team. The first seven years, I got them in 19 by 23s. They're all laminate because when I worked for a Pico, they, we had a laminator, I would laminate them. And these books... Are big and thick and heavy. Now, once I fell behind, I would cut out all the clippings, put the dates on them and all that, and I got them in boxes. In 0304 is when I stopped doing that. The only thing I do now, any event that I cover or work, I cut out the clippings the next day and put them in the program. So how far behind are the bulls in their They still keep... Regular last, scrapbooks? Yes, last November. So a little more than a year. Yeah, well, that's, you a, sit that's, there, a, that's a lot of basketball. You sit there and try and cut out papers, and then with the articles on the back of one another, i got to go make photocopies. But yeah. they take care of me, so I ain't complaining. Did Michael pay you? He took care of me. <laughs> <laughs> you should write a book with his scrapbooks. Yeah, but you? but you see, I can't write a book until I'm finished. Because I would get fired from <laughs> some of these teams. Well, it depends how much uh, money you could get to write a book, I suppose. <laughs> I'll have you write it, Elliot. Yeah, <laughs> we'll both get in trouble. Is there, do you have a preference for be- the Bulls versus baseball or any of yes. the other sports? Basketball, you're there a certain amount of time and you're gone. Baseball, well, look, on September 17th, I worked a sax game in the afternoon. I'm supposed to work the Cub game at night, and it didn't start till 10.42 at night. I didn't get home till 3 o'clock. At least you had an excuse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a favorite player watching him play in baseball? Al Smith. What White. was the reason for Al Smith? I don't know. I just... White Sox left yeah. fielder. Yeah, I just Got the him. beer dumped on him. Uh, mm-hmm. In the World Series, 59 World Series. What about basketball? Basketball, Jerry Sloan and I, Norm Van Leer. We would sit on the bus, Jerry Sloan and I, when we played games in Kansas City. We were the home team. And Jerry would ask me, you know, on my scrapbooks and stuff like that. And after that, he became a collector, Jerry Sloan. Is there any sport that you haven't done that you would like to do? No, I think I've done them all. I mean, I've done the Bears, soccer, the Sting, lacrosse, Shamrocks. Hockey, the Blackhawks, and then the White Sox, Cubs. Was there a player that was a pain in your butt? Yes. Who was Jane, uh, Jack McDowell. Why was he? He would call up all the time. One day, Bernie Williams hit a ground ball to Graybeck at short. And it was slippery out. Graybeck fumbled it, but Bernie Williams had it beat. Well, of course, they get two runs. He calls me, Bob. Don't you think Grayback should have had an error? I said, why, Jack? 
I said, it was a tough play. Bernie Williams had it beat out. I said, because you want the two runs to be unearned? <laughs> Another day, Frank Thomas came in. He slipped. He didn't touch the ball. Base hit. He says, calls me again. Don't you think Frank should have got an error? I said, Jack, he didn't touch the ball. And the score in that game, they scored three runs, and he wanted them to be unearned. Unearned. Now I had an incident with Ventura. I called an error on him, and Fernandez was pitching. They get two runs. I'm at the batting cage the next day, and Robin says to me, Rosie, how about if I hit some ground balls to you? I said, Robin, I've played baseball. He said, Bob, I thought it could have been a hit. I said, well, I'll look at it again. He says, if that's going to change the runs to make them earn, don't change it. I said, Robin, it will. He says, leave it the way it is. Now, Boggs, a couple days after that, Clemens was pitching. And he called, the guy called the air on him. He called up to the press box, Boggs. That was not an error. They changed it to a hit to take the unearned runs away from Clemens. Now, that's the difference between players uh, that I've dealt with and players there. Um, well, you attempted to tell Graybeck, you know what? Can you believe he's saying this? Why don't you talk to him? Or you <laughs> attempt to tell McDowell, you know what? If Graybeck says it's an error, then I'll make it an error. Yeah, I wouldn't go down and, and say anything like that. You've had some pretty memorable games at which you were the official scorer at baseball. Uh, I will assume, you know, one that stands out and then you've talked about before is Andy Hawkins's no hit loss yeah. loss to the White Sox. July first, nineteen ninety. That was the what the eightieth year of the ballpark, too. And the guy w- who was running the scoreboard was new. That was his first game. And when what's name uh, hit the ball to the third baseman Sosa, he put a base hit. And Dana Noel, who's the assistant PR for the way, he said, Rosie, look at stumps all over your head. I said, what for? Did you hear me make the call yet? And I called it an error. Well, the next day, I'm down on the field. I'm talking to Hawkins. He says, Bob, did you ever change that call? I said, Andy, no. I said, we had a new guy running the scoreboard, and he put up base hit. I've never, ever called it a base hit and then changed it. Do you get caught up in the moment, like when a guy's pitching a no-hitter or a perfect game? No. I don't even think about it. But on some level, are you aware of it? Yes. I'm aware of it because they keep calling me. <laughs> to let you not. Let Rect- it- rectal and them to tell me, are you nervous? So they know that I, I know. But no. I, I, you know, call it whatever happens, happens, you know. Now, you are well-known in press box, or certainly in the press boxes in Chicago, for when a, a pitcher would throw a ball that the catcher cannot catch, and, and we get this, wild pitch, wild pitch. There we go. <laughs> you know, that's become sort of a trademark of yours. You find a lot of people copying that style? or No, not really. I haven't heard anybody that's copied it. If they did, fine. Who cares? You've been a sports fan your whole life, covered 
the games, keeping score. Were you ever awestruck by a player when you met him? No. No, I, I wasn't. And I mean, the first one that I really met, well, it would have to be uh, Walt Bellamy when he played for the Packers Zephyrs. And I ran into Walt about a year ago, and he still remembers me. And Don Nelson. Every time they would come here, Don and I would talk about the old days when he was with the Zephyrs, and I had some old pictures that I made copies for him. He didn't have fish ties back then, did he? No. <laughs> or the or the uh, Dick Mata suits? No. <laughs> Is it easier now at Bulls games keeping track of stuff with uh, yes, everything be- computerized? Yes, because I don't have to do everything. When I first started, my late wife and I, we did the, everything, rebounds, shots attempted, the minutes played, because not until the ABA came where they got offensive, defensive rebounds. We only had to keep track of rebounds. No uh, block shots, no steals, turnovers. turnovers, all that. And we didn't have to, or three-pointers, three-point attempts. We didn't have all that. So it was, it was easy. How did, how did you do it by hand when before the age of computerization? It wasn't hard. It, the game wasn't as fast as it is today. But sometimes a ball would be on, on the backboard, go up for a rebound, tap in, tap in. Okay. We had an incident in East Chicago in the end. We were playing Philadelphia. Chamberlain comes up to the guy who was sitting next to me doing the rebounds. He says, I could get that many rebounds sitting on the floor. Well, they reported to the league. The league calls me, uh, give Chamberlain 10 more rebounds for that game and give Walt Bellamy 10 more for that game. That's how they used to do it. <laughs> Just out of thin air? Mm-hmm. We, were playing, we played a game in Evansville. The one time I couldn't make, uh, they didn't ask me to go. And when we played in Evansville, we're the home team, they got to take me. Well, you know Ben Bentley. Yeah. Okay. They go there, and they have the group from Evansville do it. Well, for the whole game, Oscar Robertson had three assists, <laughs> and that's all the whole team had. Well, yeah. the league was wondering what went on here, and they fined the Bulls $5,000. Ben Bentley tried to tell them, well, Bob couldn't make it. He couldn't get off work, which... <laughs> Stretching the truth? Right. But here, three assists. For a guy who averaged mm-hmm. a triple-double. <laughs> and nowadays, every game in the NBA, the league goes over. And there are times they change it. Like, Lou Aldang mentioned to me, he thought he was short a couple of rebounds. I said, Lou, the league will look at it. They tell you... I don't have to tell them anything. They check everything, and they found them. Is that because of Vegas? I mean, because I know the NBA had the issue with the ref about five years ago with the covering the spreads and things like that. You think they're watching that now? You know, I don't know. But I know now, since that incident, you could go on NBA.com referee assignments, and I got the referees right there. I don't have to wait now till I get to the game to see where they are. You couldn't do that before. The different refs call the games differently, and you know what to expect in terms of fouls? Nah, not really. You don't know with them. They could call one. A lot of times, the way the coaches stand up now, especially Tibbs, 
Oh, he's up all the time, half court. Right. Tommy Edwards got to get up like that to see. Uh, the radio people cannot see. And when they give fouls, I tell these guys, don't give them. With Tibbs there, you can't see him. And we've had a lot of problems with that. Why don't the refs take control and keep them in the coaching box? You know, they're in the coaching box. I don't think they can do anything about them standing. And even when the players go in now, a lot of them stand. Yeah, you still have to kneel down. Where before you never had that. Joe Kim Noah is one of them. Joe Kim. And I told him one day, can you please get them? They just rest on the scorer's table? Much more comfortable. But you can't see. <laughs> Minor details. And then I tell him, I says, uh, well, now you know why we're short things. Because we can't see. Is there one one game that stands out above all? Yes. It was January 17, 1970 in Milwaukee. I happened to go to the game. Bulls are down by 15 with a minute and 58 seconds to go. And they had in their whole bench. And Milwaukee had a good team. Then it was down to nine with about 40 seconds ago. Now it's down to three with six seconds ago, and the guy from Milwaukee let the clock go when Freddie Crawford was fouled for Milwaukee. Referee made him put it back to three seconds. Freddie Crawford misses the, makes the first one. It's a four-point lead. And now... They miss it. Bulls come down. Schaller Hallamon hits a two-pointer with a second to go. Milwaukee's throwing the ball in. Don Smith. It hits Borwinkle's or Jabbar's hand. The guy didn't start the clock in Milwaukee. Okay? So they get the ball back. He goes to throw it in, hits the back of the backboard. The Bulls get the ball. Hallamon hits another one from the corner as the horn goes off to tie the game. And the Bulls went in overtime. I would have never, ever believed that if I wasn't there. Yeah. And that's the team with uh, Kareem Abdul. Or was he still Lou Alcindor then? Uh, I think he was. And I then you had uh, and probably Oscar Robertson. Oscar on that Robertson. Team. Dandridge. That was a heck of a team. And you know yeah. who their broadcaster was? Chet Kopik in the early 70s. From Milwaukee? He started with the Milwaukee Bucks. He'll be happy to tell you that. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think he covered their first championship. But that's the game I would never, ever forget. Being down by that many points. And I think, who they have in there? Borwinkle? Schaller Hallamon? Manning? Lloyd Peterson? And okay. they just kept coming back, coming back, and... And then the headlines in the Milwaukee paper, Bucks lose as clock stands still. <laughs> and I think eventually they fired the guy. Wow. That story withstands the test of time. Incredible. And the Bears, it would have to be when I was working there, Gail Sayers scored the six touchdowns. And he was, they were on the two-yard line. Could have had a chance for a seventh. And John Arnett. Waved to the bench for him to come in. Hallis would not let him go in because he was afraid he'd get hurt. And that would have set the record for most points in a game, which Ernie Nevers had against the Bears, 40, and, and touchdowns. 
and he almost broke away as the game ended on a punt return because it was so muddy. Once right. made it, yeah. With his moves, mm-hmm. yeah. But Halas' prediction was a little too early because he bought his knee against the 49ers. Yes. But not that game. No, a couple years later. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you ever have the chance to just be a fan? You know, it's been a long time. And if I go to a game, baseball and all that, in there, I always got to keep score. I'm always keeping score. It's automatic. Pencil or pen? Pen. I always use pen. I assume this is something that started out when you were a kid? Mm-hmm. And you could buy a scorecard for probably a nickel or so? Yes. But you don't see people keeping score like you used to. No, you, there'll be a few. A few, but not like the old days. Once upon a time, it was like Everybody. everybody's in school. Right. They're writing down between mm-hmm. outs and all that good stuff. Yeah, you we, know. We've had season tickets in 82 with the Cubs, and I always kept score until about 15 years ago. I just stopped. Why? Just because no, basically people weren't doing it anymore. But, again, when I brought my wife, girlfriend at the time, she'd be looking like, are you weird or something? Why don't you talk to me? But you know what? It keeps she, your she mind. Didn't, she didn't know by then already? <laughs> But it keeps your mind in the game, though, because a lot of times now I'm look at my dad. What happened? I miss I miss a play because I'm not paying attention because I'm looking at everything that's going on. Yeah, I've always, I've gone ever since I was a little kid. No matter if I went to a concert, a circus, I keep the program with the ticket stub, the reviews from the paper, and same every ball game I ever went to Cubs, Sox, or whatever. Keep score and get the newspaper clippings. Okay. So if David and I want to start a Chicago sports museum. We should just go to your basement. Mm-hmm. We get a you're welcome. Of, we get a heck of a good start. The baseball museum has it come to you and ask for copies. Yeah, Connie did at one time. I don't know what happened there. Is that Connie Cowal? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think they're still looking for a place to, to build. Right. But once, that's been one, what three years? Yeah. Well, once they get that done, then they'll come back. For build it. and they will come. Something yeah. like that. Interesting career. Yes, and. That's what I always wanted to do, and I was lucky. I'm one of the few people who are doing what I wanted to do. So this beats working for a living. Yes.